This podcast contains themes of family violence, which may be triggering. If you're listening in Tasmania, where this podcast is made, and you need support now, you can contact the free Family Violence Counselling and Support Service on 1800 608 122. Or you can call the 24-hour National Support Service on 1800 RESPECT. If you're in an emergency, please contact triple zero. This podcast also contains legal information. It is not intended to be legal advice. You will find a list of legal services that you can contact for individual advice in the show notes. Everything was in my name. Uh, So whatever he wanted, I got in my name. But at the end of the day, I was financially responsible for it. He just walked away, took his things and walked away. I was left with the debt. Absolutely no control. Uh, My life was an existence, not a life at all. Debt can be scary. And dealing with debt, dealing with ongoing expenses, dealing with money can play heavily on the minds of anyone going through legal proceedings. And in this episode, we find out what that weight looks like for women. Hey, it's Penny Terry here, and you're listening to Rule of Thumb. It's a podcast from the Women's Legal Service Tasmania that takes a look at some of the things that women do have to deal with when dealing with the law. If you've listened to our previous episodes, it'll be no surprise to you that we've got a whole episode about money. Money issues come up so often for the clients at the Women's Legal Service that they've linked up with financial counsellors to help women sort through their finances. And one of the people who provides this sort of support is Sandy Neal. Sandy works with Anglicare. And she worked with a women's shelter before that. And in her career, she's seen the impact that the money stuff can have on, well, everything. The linking thing with all all my jobs was was money. And women were very usually without money. They often didn't have control of their money. And so I ended up doing financial counselling because I felt that it was a way to support women, not only women, but um, to teach them some skills. Once you've got um, control of your own money and you can see you're not scraping for every last dollar, um, then it's a lot of these women have got children, so it means that they can actually get the medi- the health um, services that their kids need, they can dress them appropriately, they don't have to feel that they've um, got a struggle. And um, Well, it's a type of begging, I suppose, to the schools. You know, you have to go to the school and ask and say, I can't pay the fees, I can't do this, I can't do that, and suddenly you can and you feel like you're part of normal society. And, um, yeah, it completely changes your life, really, I think, once you've got a bit of cash in your, in your pocket. When you say people found themselves not in control of money, can you give me some examples of what that means, not being in control of your money? Not being in control of your money, meaning that you have no idea of where the money comes from or how to deal with it. For example, I had a um, a client last year. She was around 60 and she had always run the house um, on a small amount of money that her husband would give her and that was about $200 a fortnight. She had 
three children, raised them right through their um, their lives, but only on that amount of money. She um, came came to see me and was absolutely terrified, just shaking and kept on saying, you know, you're not going to ring him, you're not going to ring him, you're not going to ring him. So what happened was that she took a credit card out because she just couldn't um, balance the household budget and um, she couldn't pay the credit card back. So I negotiated with the creditor and we got the whole amount waived. What did she tell you about why she knew now was the time to get some help? I mean, obviously the credit card debt, but what sorts of things came out about how she found herself in this situation? Well, it was all about fear. She was just terrified that he would find out that she wasn't doing a good job of the budget. So she just um, was just terrified because she didn't think she had the skills to manage on her own. So what do you work with your clients on to help to reduce that fear and help them to realise they do have the skills? Probably in the last probably five or six years maybe since Rosie Batty, um, all the banks have started their own domestic violence programs and a lot of the creditors and they've all got packages that can support you to learn how to manage your money. So I've, I've speak to my clients about that. People come to you because they've got debt hanging over them and I can imagine that that must be a really, really heavy weight. When you start talking about the different ways they may be able to manage that debt, how do your clients tell you that that feels? Well, they have no idea usually that there's so many options because there are a lot of options for people and, um, yeah, they're usually very excited to think that there may be a way out. Yeah, in listening and learning from Sandy, I couldn't help but wonder just how much weight might be lifted for some people, maybe you, just knowing there are options. We'll hear more about those options and how it works if you go and see a financial counsellor like Sandy a little later on in the episode. The other counsellor we've got to know throughout this series is trauma counsellor Jack Dalby, who often works with women experiencing family violence. And I asked him about the patterns he sees in his work when it comes to money and how often his clients are financially vulnerable. Pretty much always. So if um, so, most people are not well off and, you know, generally there's not enough money to maintain two separate households. So if, if there's a separation, then um, both partners are often quite poor. Where there is money in a relationship, um, what sometimes happens is that the man has been controlling all the money so the woman actually can't get access to it. Or what happens more frequently is that once separation's on the cards, and particularly when it's in that stage where the woman's still trying to come to some kind of reasonable agreement, the man will access all the money and, and make sure that she can't get her hands in any of it and, and you know, and siphon it off and, and put it elsewhere. So then even women who are wealthy on paper can find themselves quite financially um burdened or disadvantaged when it comes to to having to seek support and so that then puts more of a burden on the community sector and you know and, and here we find ourselves what does that also mean for their access to justice if you like well <laughs> i guess it's it's almost too obvious to say that the more money you have the more justice you get i mean you know i don't think that's particularly controversial anymore is it what do you think is it 
While it might seem obvious when you hear it, the real-life implications may not be so obvious before you're in it. Let's meet someone I call Michelle. She still wonders how her experience of the legal system may have been different if she'd had more access to money. It took me three years, really, to get the case up off negotiations or mediations. To receive help, your situation has to be in a certain position. But not only that, you have to have certain criteria to get monetary funding, monetary aid help. I'm someone who uh, had my own land and house and, and, and I've, I've always been able to support myself. And then someone just took everything away from me and then I was seen as not capable um, and not worthy of aid. And the only thing that would progress my case would be representation, money. And this was something that was even used against me right up until the end. It was like, well, you could have gone back to work full time, but how do you go back to work full time? When you want to be a primary carer, you don't just go back and go, okay, the government doesn't see me as a parent anymore, as a guardian. That that really hurts. You know, I, I, don't, I have very little care of my son, but it's not enough care to be considered a carer. So what, do I just go back to work and limit the times that I can be with my son to earn more money to do what? It gets used against you and it, yeah... Yeah, when you take the time to think about the practicalities of having the money to do the things you need to do during legal proceedings, it gets complicated and it's different for everyone. Let's hear from someone we've got to know as Natalie about the financial complexities that she dealt with while her case was going through legal proceedings. All I can say was just so lucky to have a supportive mother If I hadn't had her backing and support, I wouldn't have been, I would have been um, representing myself and that would be very challenging and scary. Although, you know, I think the court does a really good job when people represent themselves and, and gives them lots of space to do that. But, you know, I'd worked really hard to maintain employment because I knew I had, yeah, to invest a lot of money Um, All of my uh, combined assets were locked up, so all I had was what I was earning. Um, And so, you know, and I also had a very supportive lawyer who basically said you can pay it, you know, when you come to settlement because he knew I had money there, Just I just didn't have any access to it. But that became more challenging when it became clear how long, because my experience went over six years that I was caught in proceedings. Um, So without my darling mother, I don't think I would have survived. I don't think I would have had the endurance, um, you know, not not just, you know, financial, um, but endurance just in working and you know, I know I, I remember I got a, a good tax return one year and the next day my lawyer gave me the bill and I went oh there it goes <laughs> so from one 
you know, I just didn't have anything <laughs> extra to get. And, and, and in the meantime, I'm trying to raise two children without financial support. Yeah, it was, it was really challenging. My heart goes out to, um, to people who don't have the finances to, to be able to, it just doesn't seem right that your uh, outcome in terms of, you know, your, your worth as a mother or a father would depend on your income. It, it, yeah, it's, um, it's a really sad sort of situation, I think. What's that word that you're thinking of now when you hear Natalie bring up this idea? I remember thinking, wow, when it's laid out in those simple terms, it seems ridiculous. But if you've been listening along with me to this series, you'll know that the legal process is really simple. In speaking with the lawyers at the Women's Legal Service, one of the things that came up often was, well, I guess the process of women becoming financially vulnerable and how it can happen in healthy relationships as well as abusive relationships. Let's hear from lawyer Una about what she often sees. Traditionally speaking, there's there's quite a fine line between what we now recognise as financial abuse um, and the way that the family finances were set up. So, I mean, it's not unusual, particularly for sort of older generations but still quite commonly that you have a breadwinner who manages the finances and then another parent often the woman who is um, maintaining the home and looking after the children and I guess in some cases and one could say healthily so that arrangement can work as long as the communication's good and you know I guess there's often no real cause to ask what's happening with the finances. Um, there's trust there and, and, and things go along just fine. But then we find often situations where people have thought that they're in a, you know, a healthy, trusting financial relationship and um, then when things have sort of come to an end, I suppose, they realise that they, they really have no idea what's been happening with the finances or they find out that, you know, what they thought was happening, um, in fact, was not. Um, and I guess that's that's where those lines become a bit blurred. There's obviously situations where it's a lot more obvious that it's financial abuse, where people are actually restricted um, from accessing finances or are provided with very small amounts of money to, to manage the household finances with. Again, I'm wondering where your mind is going and what you're thinking when you hear Una describe this fine line. You might remember in the first episode, I talked about how listening to this podcast could be uncomfortable. How are you going with that? While we're talking about finance, there is another issue that the lawyers at the Women's Legal Service see often, and it is uncomfortable. And it's really uncomfortable for some women who are wanting to leave a relationship. Here's lawyer Lillian. 
So one of the ones that we often get on our 1800 line is around Centrelink and de facto property settlements. So it may be that a caller is calling in relation to a separation um, and they're wanting to get advice around how property the property aspect of family law works, um, what their rights and entitlements are. Um, and then through the call, we're getting information and we're giving them advice on those aspects. They highlight to us that there's also an issue around the fact that a lot of their income or that they've been solely reliant on um, Centrelink during the relationship. And one of the issues is that they haven't always reported correctly about their relationship status. Do you remember one particular case that you can tell us about? Um, there are probably a couple, but one that probably has more general themes. A, a woman who's separated from a partner during the relationship, there's been aspects of financial control. And when you say financial control, what what do you mean? How how did she explain that to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so that might be that um, she's actually never had a bank account. Um, she has always been reliant on um, her partner providing her an allowance. Um, so that's that's probably a, quite a typical case. Um, but it might be a little bit more complex than that too. It might be that. She has been um, the primary carer and the the homemaker in the the relationship. She's also um, supported the family via a, a casual wage and some income support. Um, the other party also has an income, but the way in which the home is managed that might come solely out of her income and that's her responsibility is her role in the relationship and his re- role in the relationship is maybe more say things like the mortgage so if he's going to pay the mortgage she'll have to use whatever income she has to pay for all those everyday things and that's to some degree been an agreement between the parties as to how they are each going to make contributions to the relationship She's sought Centrelink to assist her in doing that support and both parties have worked knowing that 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 income is um, coming into the relationship but it's only upon her separating and realising that all of her rights, um, the way that she's made the contributions to the relationship, that she has an entitlement under the Family Law Act Um, but if she was then to pursue that, the other party might threaten to then report her to Centrelink so that she can't then make a claim on other things arising out of the relationship. And it might be, it might not necessarily just be a single parenting payment, it might be a new start payment, Um, it could be that you're on a disability payment and you're saying that you're unpartnered when in fact you might be partnered. There are all sorts of things that come up when we hear these stories. You know, I can almost hear people saying, she knew she was underreporting, it's fraud. Then others saying, but what about the pressure or the coercion she was under? And all I kept thinking was, this must be so complicated. I can imagine that everyone's situation is different. And look, this is not the place for individual advice. It's just a podcast about community education. But the Women's Legal Service can provide you with that individual advice. You just need to make the call and it's free. But all of this, I guess, brings us back to debt, where we started at the beginning of this episode. And this is one of the big things that financial counsellor Sandy Neal from Anglicare helps people with when they are going through the legal process. And I asked, what sort of debt are we talking about? 
Well, debt can be anything that a person can't manage. If they can't manage their money, that's debt. Um, so it can be anything from just not being able to pay your bill that week or it might be up to you know, 50,000, 70,000 worth of credit card debts on personal loans or um, maybe the leftover from the sale of a mortgage or all sorts of things. And um, the choices are quite broad. I mean, we can... We can do the negotiations. If somebody's, if there's an older person, um, say in their 70s, and they've got a couple of credit cards that they've been paying off for, I don't know, 20 years or something, um, we can usually, with um, some support notes from other services, and um, ask to have the debt waived and or partially waived, and that'll happen, and that's 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 great, um, and. Or we can ask for long-term payment arrangements for the life of the loan, which can be something like $20 a fortnight, and um, ask for no interest or fees so you don't get those extra things. Um, Then there's right to the other end, the other extreme, bankruptcy, where years ago bankruptcy would affect you forever. Nowadays it's... um, They've even cut the timing. For some people it's only up to three years now, three to five years um, and how does it affect you in that three to five years? Well, it affects your credit rating for sure, but it doesn't mean that it's a life sentence. You can always come back from it. You can start saving again. Do we look at each situation individually and see what um, options people have got? It sounds like you've got to have some pretty quite personal conversations with oh, people yeah. about where they spend their money. I mean, how, how does that go? Sometimes it's easy and sometimes they'll say, well, that's only, why do I have to give you that information? And um, to get a true budget, it's often best to also get a um, statement from the bank, then you can actually see where everything's going. But often people don't like doing that. Yeah, they do feel uncomfortable, but when they realise the reason for it, uh, they usually become, like, it's about building rapport, really. How do you get through that? with your clients to a place where you're able to help? Well, we normalise it. We, we, we tell them often the figures, you know. There are, there's thousands of people in financial trouble just because they may have the best cars and, and, and be better dressed or whatever. They, the cars are usually on a high purchase. People have five or six credit cards sometimes and they're about to lose a house. People just don't know what other people's situations are. I don't know if easy is the right word, but once you make a decision to do something about your money, how much better off are you? How much quicker might you be able to find an outcome? Because I'd imagine making the appointment to come and see you could be the hardest part. Yeah, just making the appointment is a big deal, but um, often people will say at the end of the first appointment, I feel so much better now I've told somebody. And it's um, very freeing. I mean, even before anything's been done, if you lay out a bit of a plan of what you might be able to do, people are generally pretty excited about that. What advice would you give to women now? Things to check, things to do to make themselves the most secure. Uh, You could probably get yourself a credit check, see what debts are actually in your name because sometimes women aren't aware that their partners have taken out debts in their names. Um, How common is that? That's quite very common, very common. You know, they've been coerced to sign something or they don't, if people haven't got an understanding of, um, or if they're under pressure, they'll just 
do what they're told, not realising that they're probably signing up for a $50,000 personal loan or something. Yeah, they, um, if it's a safety plan, they need to sort of also plan for their finances. They, um, they've got copies of all their ID and often when I'm working with a client whose safety's at risk, I'll set up times, I'll set up safety things for them and so that I definitely don't send SMSs or I definitely don't ring at this particular time or sometimes I can meet them out out of the building somewhere, um, anything that's um, safer for them. People don't think uh, they're going to be able to manage it and it's finances are always pretty scary and especially if you've never dealt with it before. Um, it's really important to to understand that it's all just about confidence and um, having the courage to, to, to know that you'll be able to manage it yourself and just having somebody telling you you can do that is, yeah, usually works well. Now what Sandy talks about here has come up lots of times during this series, how knowledge can build confidence. And I just looked up the definition of the word empowerment in the dictionary and the answer that I found is empowerment is the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. Have we ticked that box with this series? Even if we're halfway there, I'm happy enough because there are many more places that you can go for the other half. This is just a podcast. There is a whole list of professional legal services in our show notes who can provide that individual legal advice that you might be after and also contacts for financial support or family violence support. Perhaps empowered is not what you're feeling at all, but rather a responsibility of some sort. For me, I needed to make season two of Rule of Thumb, which is about learning how not to be a bystander to family violence. One thing I think we've all learned is that it's not always obvious when women are experiencing family violence, and even if we do notice something, we can feel powerless to help. So keep an eye out for season two of Rule of Thumb. And that's it. We're at the end of the series. And I want to say a huge thanks to the lawyers at the Women's Legal Service for helping me to think about the law a bit more deeply. Thank you to counsellors Jack and Sandy for your knowledge, your passion and your time. And a huge thank you to the women who shared part of their stories of their experience of the legal system. I've no doubt that you've got more to say. And thank you for sticking with it, because I can understand that it may have been uncomfortable at times to hear our legal system that many rely on and trust being spoken about like this. And I wonder what happens next. My name is Penny Terry. You've been listening to Rule of Thumb. It's a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. (laughs) 